I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 7. And I'm going to continue a thought I started three weeks ago, the last time I preached here at home. I'm going to continue this thought of basically the, to summarize the message that I preached because I don't have a lot of time. The thought was very often we try to do what Jesus does without doing what Jesus did. We talked about how before Jesus walked on the water, he was on the mountain praying. And that if we're going to do what Jesus does, we've got to do what Jesus did. We've got to go to the mountain and pray. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about an aspect of prayer that we very often misunderstand. And because we misunderstand it, sometimes we stop praying. Sometimes we don't pray with faith. Sometimes we only pray when we get desperate. And then we wonder, where is God? What is God doing? Is, does he hear me? Is he going to answer me? And, uh, and then we read a verse in the Bible that seems to tell us that whatever we ask God to do, he's going to do it. Whatever we seek after, we're going to find it. Whatever door we knock on is going to be open. And, and sometimes if we read that and then things don't happen the way we think they should happen, we become discouraged. And so we stop believing in the power of prayer. And so I want to encourage you because I, I want our prayer to increase because I believe prayer is, is not an act of works. Prayer is an act of grace. Prayer is saying, I can't, only you can. Is there anybody in here today who has something in your life and you're looking at it and saying, I can't, only you can. And I wonder if we could just put our hands together and thank God that he has the power, he has the supply, he has the ability to do what we cannot do. Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse seven, the Bible says this, ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, check this connector out. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For This is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word that shows us the way. We're asking God today that you would teach us what it means to ask, what it means to seek, and what it means to knock so that our prayers can become effective, so that we can increase our capacity to receive, to seek, and doors to be open in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the doors will be open. I see three words, ask, seek, and knock. And those three words have something to do with us. First of all, to ask involves our mouth. To seek involves our eyes. And to knock involves our hands. And so God is not a genie in a bottle that we just make a wish and he does what we wish. He's not a vending machine that we throw a prayer into. and We press C5 and we get out what we ask for. What we do sometimes with scripture is we look at a verse and we pull it out of context and we make it seem and we make it mean something that it was never meant to mean. Never take a verse out of context from the Bible and develop theology around it. What you have to understand about this particular verse is this verse is a part of a full sermon. 
That's why, that's why I love Twitter and I love when you, when you tweet something that is said from the pulpit or, or I get a tweet from something that somebody said, but very often we tweet something that, and, and we tweet it out of context and it doesn't have the context of the entire the, of the statement. And so when you don't have the context, you can take something in 140 characters and miss the real point behind it. And so if you look at this verse and pull it out of context, ask, you will receive, seek, you will find, knock and the door will be open. You would think God is a genie or a vending machine, but he's neither. Asking, seeking, and finding have some prerequisites to them. And we see that in the tone of scripture. And so you have to search out the entirety of scripture to really see what God is saying when he's saying, ask, seek, and knock. Or else you'll become discouraged because you asked and you didn't receive. You saw and you didn't find. And you knocked and no, no doors were open. So you have to really realize the context. The context of this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is really getting to the bottom of who we are in our heart, our motives, our whys behind what we do. And as he's dealing with our heart and he's dealing with who we really are, from the context of him dealing with our nature and our, our inability to really see him the way we should and how we should see him and how we should react and how we should respond. He says, with that context, hey, ask and you will receive. You know, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Pure in heart, if you're pure in heart, ask and you shall receive. But when we take it out of context, we don't realize the entirety of what God is saying. And so we miss the point. And we've got to see here, asking, first of all, has everything to do with our mouth. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 18 and 21, it says this, that the tongue has the power of life and death. So I want to ask you this question. Ask, but what are you asking? What are you speaking? Hebrews 11 and 3 tells us this. It says that through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So in other words, what the Bible is telling us there is that words frame our world. And our words, the Bible tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible tells us this so we understand that what we say has everything to do with the condition of our heart. And what we pray is really a reflection of our heart. And if our heart isn't committed and set on God, then our prayers will be, the Bible talks about asking amiss, our prayers will miss the mark because our heart isn't right. So we can't just ask and God's going to, hey, God, it's not like, hey, God, I, I need a car. And he says, there's a car. Hey, God, I need a house. And he says, here's, here's a house. Hey, God, I need a spouse. Here, here she is. I don't want this one. Give me a different one. That's the, it's not how, it's not how it works. So what is this? What is asking involve? Asking, first of all, it involves our heart because we speak what our heart is full of. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 and 34, he tells us that the heart's secrets are actually betrayed by the mouth. Just like a fruit discloses the nature of a tree, so does your mouth disclose the nature of your heart. Just push me, you'll see what I'm full of. All right. The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 23, it says a wise man's heart guides his mouth. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 that it's with confession and our heart that we actually become saved. We confess with our mouth, believe in our heart. So our mouth confesses what our heart believes. And so we've got to check 
what am I actually saying? What am I actually praying? Because my mouth is speaking what my heart is full of. Just a few things about maybe this, maybe there, just to give you some reasons why you're not receiving. Because, listen, if we go too long in our Christian walk and we just overlook the fact that we've asked for stuff and we didn't get it, and, and we've, we've prayed and God didn't do what we asked him to do, then what we'll do is we'll develop a theology around our circumstance instead of God's word. We'll develop theology around what we've been through instead of God's word. And we'll begin to live according to our situation and not what God's word says about us. And so we have to understand, maybe there are some reasons why I am not receiving. Because if God's word is true, if I ask and I receive, then why am I not receiving? Well, first of all, the context of this verse has everything to do with sonship and being a daughter of God. He says, if you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your heavenly father give good things to them that ask? One of the reasons your prayers go unanswered is because maybe you're not his child. Maybe you're here today and maybe you go to church and maybe you've had a religious experience, but you've never received him into your life. You've never prayed and said, God, I want you to come into my heart. I I repent of what I've been doing and I want to go your way. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Maybe you've just been going to church and not become his child. Can I encourage you this morning? Stop going to church. Going to church doesn't make you saved. Being his child makes you saved. Being his child. Answers come to your prayers. She said, it's, it's, it's a relational thing, not a religious thing. You receive out of relationship, not out of religion. And then check this out. Through scripture, we see this idea that Jesus even presents to his own disciples that you've got to keep asking. Even some translations of this same chapter and verses say, keep asking and you will receive. Keep knocking and you will will find. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open. It says keep on doing. It's a progressive thing. We don't just pray at one time and just leave it out there. We keep praying it until we see it come to pass. In our we keep seeking until we find it. We keep knocking until the door opens. So we keep on doing it. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus was teaching his disciples. He was saying, never give up praying. Sometimes people quit when they pray. Sometimes people ask one time and they stop. But Jesus is saying, don't ask just once. Become persistent in your prayers. And he talks about a woman who kept going to a judge and she kept going to this judge and saying, hey, I need justice. And he kept ignoring her until one point she had come so often. He said, listen, I better probably do something about this lady or she may come and attack me. That's what he said. So he granted her request because of her persistence. There's another story in the Bible of a woman who came to Jesus and asked Jesus to do a miracle for her daughter. And Jesus said, no. And she said, but Jesus. And Jesus said, no again. And she said, but Jesus. And he said, no, woman. It is not for the dogs to have this in their life. Can you imagine? I would have been offended and walked away from Jesus. How many of us get offended at Jesus and walk away from that prayer we were praying? from that thing we were asking for. But she said, Jesus, hey, this is this woman, hey, even dogs get crumbs from the table of the master. And Jesus turned and he said, this is incredible faith. What you've asked for, it has been done for you and to you. What was going on at this time was Jesus' personal ministry was just to the Jew at that time. This was a Gentile woman 
What Jesus was saying to her is it's not your time. But she was saying, I don't care whose time it is. I need you to do something in my life. Jesus put it this way about John the Baptist. He said, since the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom has suffered violence, and the violent have been taking it by force. In other words, the kingdom hadn't come, but there were some people so persistent, so violent in their faith, so, so <laughs> they sought God so hard that what was reserved for the future actually became a part of their present. I don't know about you, but if God answers persistent prayers, then I'm going to keep saying, hey, Jesus, hey, I asked you, but it's not, hey, I, I need it. <laughs> you got to keep asking. A lack of prayer is a lack of supply because very often the supply stops where the prayer stops. Check this out. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is talking to God, and God is telling Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. But if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I won't judge it. And Abraham says, really, God? Well, well what about 50 minus 5? He's just checking to make sure God knew how to add and subtract. What about 50 minus 5? And God said, yeah, for 45, I'll save the city. Well, since you said 45, God, he said, how about, how about 40? I said, okay, for, for 40, I'll save the city. He said, well, I know I've asked a lot already, God, but what about 30? God said, you know what, for 30, I'll save the city. God, now don't, don't get mad at me. I just, I'm just throwing this out there. But what about 20? God said, for 20, I'll save the city. And Abraham says, listen, Lord, don't get, don't get too mad at me. I, I know I've already asked a lot of you, and you've been so good. Thank you, God, for, thank you, God, for what you've already done for me. But what about 10? And God said, for 10, I'll save the city. And the conversation stopped. Abraham stopped praying. He thought, man, I got 10 out of God. I might as well stop while I'm ahead. <laughs> what if... He would have said one. If he'd have said one, his sister-in-law wouldn't have turned to a pillar of stone. Come on, Lot's wife. Ah, but he stopped at 10. How often do we miss out on more supply because we get satisfied with 10? God's just saying, if you keep asking, I'll keep answering. Just keep bringing, just keep bringing the number to me. God, I need this much to just, I need to take care of my family. Say, God, okay. But when we have a get by mentality, we have a get by prayer life, we live a get by life. But Jesus did not come to give us a get by life. He said, I came that you could have life and life to the fullest, to the max. So you gotta keep asking. Another thought is this. If he can't put his name on it, he won't do it. Just like the prophet Beyonce said, if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Or if you liketh it, then you should have put a ringeth on it, King James Version. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> You, 
if, if he can't put his name on it, he won't do it. The Bible tells us this. <laughs> this is good stuff. I'm just, I'm, I'm helping you this morning. I really am. You're, you're mad at me right now, but this is, this is helping you. John 14 and 13, the Bible says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. If it doesn't bring glory to the son and the father, if it doesn't magnify the name of Jesus and in magnifying the name of Jesus, exalt the father, then God said, I'm not gonna do that. If I can't put my name on your business, why would I bless it? If I can't have access to your home, why would I bless it? If you won't let me in your life and your finances, why would I bless them? Oh, it's getting hot in here, so keep on all your clothes. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> it's got to bring glory to the Father. Another thought. Obeying his word is not an option. 1 John 3 and 22 says, and whatever you ask we will receive from him, why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Well, that's an Old Testament first. No, that's actually, that's 1 John 3, 22. That's the new covenant. And it's not mean old James. Faith without works is dead. It's, it's John. He said, we get what we ask when we pray because we do what pleases Father. Some people think when Jesus came, that meant I, did, I, I, got, I got to stop obeying God. What? Who told you that? Grace doesn't just make up for your lack of ability. Grace actually empowers you to have ability that you didn't have before Jesus came into your life. So it doesn't just say when you don't, when you fall short, I'll make up the difference. But it also says when you can't, I will through you. So, so just, just some thoughts. Another one. Maybe we ask too small. Maybe if nothing we are doing requires God, then maybe he's not really involved in it. Sometimes we ask God to do what we can do. You're like, God bless me. And God's like, a little work ethic would actually help. Uh, <laughs> You know, moving out of your mom's basement. You're 35 years old. Like, like. <laughs> okay. Thanks for coming back from vacation, Rob. We're really happy you're back. It's great. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, the just, they walk by faith, not by sight. So the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. It's, it's certainty. It's a belief in what I can see and not a belief in what I don't see. So what if most of our prayers aren't answered because what we're praying are not faith prayers, they're sight prayers? What if God is saying, you're praying according to your sight and I'm asking you to pray according to faith? You're praying according to how you see things in the natural. I'm asking you to pray according to how you see things in the spirit. And what you're asking me for is too natural. What I'm trying to do in you is more spiritual. Whew. 
What if you're like, God, I want you to, I want you to pay my light bill. And God is like saying, I, I want to make you an avenue of blessing. But if you live with such a mindset that all I can do is keep your lights on, then I can't use you as an avenue of blessing. So yeah, I'll, I can keep bread on the table. Yeah, I can keep the lights on. But what you're missing is so much more. You're praying too small. You're praying to a God who has all resource, all power in his hands, and you're asking me to keep your lights on. I'm, ask, I'm asking you, can I, can I keep others' lights on through you? But if I pray according to what I see, then no wonder all he does is keep the lights on. No wonder every now and then, you know, we, we get to that point and the lights get off and we're 30 days late and we're 60 days late and, and we finally come up with enough money and we turn them back on. We're living that kind of life because that's all we see. And I'm praying according to what I see. God, just get me through. God, just get me by. And God is saying, I need you to trust me to do more than just get you by. I need you to stop praying sight prayers and pray faith prayers. What if God is trying to give us wisdom instead of what we want? Think about this. What if we're asking for something, but God says, I first need to give you wisdom so that you can handle what you want. Well, if you're in here today and you're like, God, I need, a, I need a spouse. I need to get married. And God's like, yeah, that's a good desire. And I want to give you that. But you're dumb <laughs> right now. And you can't handle your own self. Like, how in the world are you going <laughs> to? God, I want a promotion. But why would God bring you into a promotion you can't handle? And so God wants us to seek wisdom, to get wisdom so that we can handle the blessing that comes into our life. Are you prepared for what you've been praying for? Because if you're not prepared for it, then you can't handle the blessing when it comes. And what was supposed to be a blessing actually ends up being a curse in your life. You can pray for more money, but what if you get more money? If you're bad with a hundred bucks, you're gonna be bad with a million dollars. If you're bad with a small house, you're gonna be bad with a big house. If you don't take care of that dirty old messed up Toyota 1976, whatever it is, you got parts from all over the world in that thing and it's just barely, if you can't keep that clean, then why in the world would God give you something else that you're, well, we're constantly wanting the next thing when God's saying, I'm trying to teach you wisdom in the current thing. You want something else, I'm trying to teach you wisdom. Because if I can teach you wisdom, then when you get into your next season and the blessing that I pour into your life comes, you won't squander it this time. You'll realize what I'm doing in your life and you'll be able to manage the blessing. So he's asking us to go get wisdom. Sometimes an unanswered prayer is not really unanswered. It's just no. Sometimes people are like, God didn't answer my prayer. No, he did. He said no. Okay, all right. Whew. Proverbs 4 and 5 says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. James 1 and 5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. I think we should ask for the thing that he's giving out generously to all 
without reproach. Like he's not holding back. I need wisdom. Here's enough. I need wisdom. Here's more. He's giving it out generously to all without reproach. He's not holding back. So what if it is that God is trying to get wisdom to you? What if God's trying to teach you how to be successful instead of making you successful? Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 18 says, remember the Lord your God, he is the one who gives you the power to be successful. It doesn't say he is the one who makes you successful, it says he gives you the power to become successful. What if you're like, God make me successful, and God's saying, go to college. Get wisdom, get understanding. What if God make me successful? Serve another person's vision. Learn all you can learn. <laughs> Woo! Man, I'm loving this, every second of it. Could you imagine if five years ago, God would have dropped this church on me without giving me the wisdom to lead the church? What should have been a blessing would have turned into the most ridiculous situation of my life. But God prepares us to bless us. He's good like that. He loves you that much. So what you consider God overlooking you or not answering you is actually God preparing you. He's giving you the power to become successful. So then we seek. So we ask, we seek. It's 1128. I'm gonna take the next few minutes and I'm gonna get this in because you need to hear this. Seek, eyes. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Because what you are looking at you long for. What you behold, you become, and what you look at, you long for. And so we could say, seek him, and you'll find him. He says, seek, and you will find. But what are you seeking? Because whatever you're looking for, you're finding. A lot of people are like, I sought him, but I didn't find him. Well, that's not the promise of scripture. If you seek him, you will find him. So, so you're all, we all are seeking something, we all are finding something. The promise of scripture is seek him, you'll find him. First Chronicles 16, 11 says this, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. What you become, you behold, and what you long for, what you look for, you long for. I had a guy come to me one time and he said, man, Rob, he said, we've been married, my wife and I, for almost 30 years. And he said, I, I just don't see her the way I used to see her. I was like, why is that? He said, well, she's just changed so much. You know, just, I mean, physically she's changed. It's been 30 years. I mean, she doesn't look like she used to look. And I'm looking at this guy thinking, bro, have you looked in the mirror lately? You don't look like you used to look either. He said, he said, he said, but he's like, man, I just, I just don't see her the way I used to see her. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. What are you looking at? We got a little deeper. I said, what kind of shows are you watching? What kind, of, what kind of movies do you like? What kind of TV shows are you engaging in? And all these TV shows had something to do with an affair or, or some sort of scandal or some sort of, some of them were named scandal. Some of them were, <laughs> some, of, some were like, he really loved like The Bachelor. I'm like, bro, you're 50 years old and you're watching The Bachelor. Dude, it's over. Let it go. You'll never be on that show. 
<laughs> Maybe you will be. You're really selfish and you think you're more attractive than you actually are. Maybe you will make The Bachelor. Hello, somebody. I'm a good pastor. Somebody give God some praise right there. I okay. So I said, I said, well, 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 physically, how's the relationship? Well, it's not good. He's like, I've kind of turned to some other things because she doesn't do for me what I need. So I'm kind of looking at this and watching this. And I said, do you, do you know why you don't see her the way you used to see her? Because you stopped looking at her. Because whatever you look at, you long for. You thought the problem was her because she changed. No, you changed. Your gaze fell off of her and onto something else. You have to turn your eyes. The Bible says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Remember we talked about Peter? He walked on water until he took his eyes off Jesus. Whatever you look at, whatever you behold, you become. So you gotta put your eyes, has she ever said, you don't look at me the way you used to look at me? He said, yeah, she totally says that all the time. It's because you don't. Ooh. Start to stare at that woman who had your babies. Sacrifice her body for you so that you could have seed in the earth. Kids, carried them for nine months. Suffered agonizing pain so that your children could walk. Just look at her. Stop staring at Sally so-and-so on Instagram. Get off the Instagram search page. It might save your marriage. Somebody give God. I'm a good pastor. I feel like Jesus is slapping me on the back right now saying preach. Stop looking for your old girlfriend on Facebook. If you get with her, it's just a couple of losers, shallow people getting together anyway. It's going to end in destruction. Start staring at your spouse again. And when you look at them, look for the good. Look at the sacrifices they've made. Stop looking at that guy and saying, man, he used to have a six-pack. His hair used to not be that color, and there was more of it in his head. So I look at him and say, that's the man who for years has provided for our family, and he works hard. And he's not everything he should be, but I, he believes that he's, you know, <laughs> the biggest insecurity a man has is that we're not enough. If you constantly speak to the fact that we're not enough, we're just going to agree with you because we know that. But if you begin to seriously look at him and begin to look at his hands that have calluses from the hard work, and begin to look at those eyes that are tired because they've come home from an all-nighter, You'll see them different. And what you look at, you long for. Luke 9, 58. I need to close. It's 1134. We got another service. Jesus had some people come to him. They wanted to follow him. And Jesus looked at them and said, hey, it's cool you want to follow me, but um, foxes have dens. Birds have nests but I don't even have a place to lay my head down at night. So if you're coming to me, I need you to understand following me is not easy. Following me does not mean you're gonna get a big house. 
Following me does not mean you're going to always have a new car. Following me does not mean that everything you want in the sense of these things of this life, not always going to give them to you in the way you want them. It's not always going to mean a big house. There might be some seasons where you follow me and you don't have a hole to crawl in. You don't have a nest to lay in. So when we seek, what are we seeking? Are we seeking the blessing or are we seeking the God of the blessing? And really one of the reasons Jesus says that to those, those people who want to follow him is because he's trying, to, he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us foxes have dens, birds have nests. They have a place that they fit, but I don't. Why? Because I wasn't created, me, Robbie, I wasn't created to fit here anyway. This isn't my home. And if God had created us to fit here, we wouldn't seek him. So one of the reasons you feel like you don't fit in is because you weren't made to fit in. Your lack of fitting in is actually something that's supposed to draw you to him. So he said, listen, there are going to be times in your life where you don't even have a place to hold a crawl in, a, a nest to sleep in. But don't be discouraged. Sometimes that's what following me look like, looks like. So seek me. And then he says, knock, and the door will be open. I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet because I need to let you go in just the next few moments. Knock has everything to do with hands. The Bible says in Psalm 24, four through five, it says the one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, he shall receive blessings from the Lord. Because if our hands aren't pure, we'll go knocking on the wrong door. So we knock and the door opens, but it's not the door God wanted to open. So first of all, we have to understand that if I don't, if I don't live According to scripture, then my hands will be impure and I will knock on doors that I was never designed to knock on. Another thing about open doors is this, that when God opens a door, you can count on the fact that there will be many adversaries at that door. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 9. He had told the people of Corinth, he said, I want to come to you, but I can't. Why? Because there's a wide door of effective service open to me here in Ephesus. And there are many adversaries. Sometimes when it looks like a door is open, but there are adversaries at the door, we don't even want to approach the door. But God is saying sometimes the door with the adversaries is the door that I've actually opened for you. Sometimes, sometimes when there are adversaries, it doesn't mean I run to another door. It means I stand in this doorway until I have defeated every single enemy of God in Ephesus. That's what it means. There's an open door, but there are many adversaries. Don't, don't ever think that when God opens a door, it's going to be an easy thing. So there's an open door. It's effective. But there are many adversaries there. And another thought. In Luke chapter 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus is getting ready. He's heading kind of into, into, into some different cities. And he's sending a messenger ahead to tell those cities to prepare for him. And he sends a messenger into Samaria and Samaria sends message back that we have no room for you. There's, there's, 
the door is closed. You can't come to Samaria. But I love Jesus. Jesus is used to there being no room for him. He doesn't get offended or his feelings get hurt because when he came, there was no room for him in the end. There's, there's always been people who have rejected him and cities who have rejected him and not made room for him. So he's not offended. He's not deterred. The Bible literally tells us that he just goes on to the next city. But before he goes to the next city, the disciples get all upset. And they're like, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and just destroy the whole city? Jesus says, what are you talking about? You don't even know what spirit you're of. He rebukes them and he moves on to the next city, to the next open door. Why? Because Jesus refused to be offended by rejection. You have to get to the point in your life where rejection stops offending you. Because rejection is actually a blessing. It's just an indicator of where I need to stop wasting my time and my energy. It's just an indicator of who I need to stop spending time with. It's just an indicator of what I should stop doing. Rejection is a blessing. It's just an eye-opener that, hey, this door is closed, but another one is going to be wide open. How do you know that, Robbie? Because the Bible tells me this. If they close the door, that means that God didn't open it. Because if God opens the door, no man can shut it. I don't know if there's anybody in this room today who's had some doors closed on you. But don't get offended over being rejected. It just means there's another door open. And how we react to rejection says a lot about our faith. If we get mad, like, oh, they rejected us. Call fire from heaven. Burn them up, Lord. Kill them, God then we don't believe there's another door open. Sometimes we look at our life and we feel like, man, we're, this is it. God's saying, this is not it. There are other doors. Man, that job opportunity, that was it. No, that, that was not it. There are other open doors. You have to continue to believe that things can get better. Things can change. If you lose hope, then you will get sick. You will give up and you will give in, but do not grow weary in doing well, the Bible says, for in due season, you will reap if you do not faint. So ask, seek, and knock, but understand, why am I asking? What am I asking? Why am I seeking? What am I seeking? Why am I knocking? And what door am I knocking on? Amen. I hope this helps today. Will you just bow your head with me? Father in Jesus.